listener. That special time was always that feeling once you've just seen the client and you're absolutely walking on air and they're walking on air. It's just that your heart feels so full. It's incredible. It's it's just, you literally feel like your stomach's and your chest's inflated. It's an incredible feeling and you just feel like you've just done nice things for people and made a difference. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe, and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. One of our most listened to episodes on the podcast is with former male escort Mitch Larson after the release of his book, Time For Her. Now, while we did cover a lot of ground in that conversation, there was more that you wanted to know. So we've invited Mitch back on the show and this time he's going to be answering your big questions. Now, understandably, it seems many of you are feeling a little shy to ask Mitch directly. I know I feel a bit shy. I mean, I've got him in the studio with me. So I am going to be asking your questions on your behalf. So let's jump in and ask those burning questions for former male escort, Mitch. Mitch, we meet at last. We do, finally. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, Jess. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. You're saying you're shy having me in front of you. I'm sitting here in front of a TV icon. So, hey, I'm a bit shy too, all right? So, let's just say that. Well, you know (laughs) what? We can be shy together. Okay. We'll stumble through it awkwardly together. (laughs) But you know what I think what's exciting about this conversation is it's a conversation that we don't often have, that women don't often have it with their partners or their lovers or with one another. Mm. And I think you have a lot of knowledge, untapped knowledge that we want to learn from. So shall I get cracking with our first listener question? Yes. Now, this is from Leslie. And Leslie wants to know, how do women find a reputable male escort? And what questions should you be asking them before agreeing to see them? Should you be looking on the internet or is there a better option? Uh, No, you do want to be looking on the internet. There are a couple of directories out there. I'm not going to name them to plug them, but usually the top ranking ones, uh, the most polished looking ones are usually the better ones. Price is not an indicator of quality. I'll say that up front. But generally, you want to see someone that, first of all, obviously is physically attractive to you, how do you know the photos are accurate though? They are on the big directories. They do make sure that they are the person who they say you are. So check that out. Start looking at who's out there. Then start doing a real deep dive. Start looking into their social media. Start looking into any testimonies that they may have had. That said, some people make them up. If the testimonials are consistently graphic or the, if you get the feel that they're not the sort of words that a lady would write then they could be made up. So if in doubt, don't book, but we're talking about booking. So then, as I said, go and have a look at their social medias, have a look how they present themselves, whether they're sort of the sort of persona that you would trust, you know, sort of kindness, caring, and then ask them, then message them. Don't feel afraid, just do it. Just shoot out a message or however they want to be contacted. 
There's no harm in asking and it actually is quite empowering in just taking that first step as well. Ask them how the procedure goes and admit, you know, almost everyone that contacted me started their inquiry by saying, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. Please lead the way. And then patiently you would guide them through them and hopefully you can have a chat to them at some point before going ahead with anything serious. And also you have the ability hopefully to have a social date too. So you can pay a bit less, have a non-sexual coffee or a dinner or something like that, just to see if you're at that point where you are comfortable to go further. And when you say have a chat to them, so do you mean just call them on the phone or a WhatsApp or something? Or Well, most people will not answer phone calls. They'll answer texts in the industry because it's, you know, no one answers phone calls anyway these days, so it's usually text. <laughs> Only older people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So reach out to them and text them. And part of what I'm trying to do is make it a standard that you should be entitled to at least, say, a 10 or 15-minute phone call just to hear their voice and for them to hear your voice, just to make the whole thing a lot easier. The escorts don't necessarily have to do that, but I'm trying to sort of spread the word and, and hope that most guys will start doing that. So... If that's possible, do that. If it's not, ask them if they would mind speaking to you because that will make it a lot easier for you as well. What about, I mean, you mentioned there price isn't necessarily an indication. So if someone is charging a whole lot of money versus some other people, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean they're better? Not at all. Not Definitely not. The prices seem to have gone up a lot lately, I've noticed. But usually the guys that have been in it for quite a while will start to up their rates a lot more to sort of get them in line with everybody else. But a lot of people are just starting out as well. And, and, you know, there are a lot of great guys that uh, haven't had as much experience, but they would be just as good. So, yeah, don't be put off by high prices, but maybe be put off by very low prices. That's one thing I will say, though, because you'll get some people just dabbling in it, trying to sort of pick up whatever they can get. They could quite possibly not, you know, have the right intentions. Because Elise from Sydney or the Northern Beaches, she wants to know how much do you charge your clients or did you charge your clients when you were a male escort? Uh, when I finished, I had a minimum two-hour booking that cost $1,000. That was actually quite rare. It was, used to be three, three hours. From memory, that was, I think it was 1500 or something like that. Occasionally, people would book me overnight as a one-off and I charged 5000 for that, which was, that was at the upper end because it is quite a lot of work. It's a lot of hours and you're on that whole time. Exhausting, I would imagine. Oh, mentally exhausting as opposed to physically, yeah, um, definitely. Um, It's not all sex, obviously, for, for, you know, 12, 15 hours, but you you are on that whole time. You know, you are completely 100% present for the client. You are the person that is there for them. You can't sort of rest or switch off or anything like that. And you earn your money. I mean, but it is a lot of money, I agree. But you're worth it, surely. Uh, I like to think I was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to think I was, yeah. I I, I did everything I could, that's for sure. We've got Gabby on the line. Gabby, what do you want to know from Mitch? Oh, I would love to know from Mitch, what does a bad day at work look like for him? Oh, hi, Gabby. Thanks for asking. Um, (laughs) Keep in mind, I am retired now, but back when I was working, the, the bad day... It was usually similar to anyone's bad day when I didn't do a good job or when I didn't fulfill the expectations that were thought of me. So I guess if I 
let's say things didn't work as they were supposed to. Um, that that's usually not the greatest day for me. That wasn't that often, but occasionally it did happen. Um, I think you might know what I mean by that. <laughs> or um, if I didn't click with the client, or if they didn't particularly like me, and you know, a client and we decided to cut a booking short, I would find that would be a bad day. Usually, nothing nothing too shocking. So when you say you don't, or you might not have clicked with a client. Would that mean you weren't attracted to her or could you switch something on that would make you feel turned on? That was often the case that I would have to sort of flick a switch and find something and talk long enough to the client to to develop a care and a sort of a, a real love for the client, a short-term love for the client to get to the point where I would be aroused and we would have, you know, meaningful sex. So I guess um, when I didn't click, I found that it was sort of, we'd both tried. It was like a normal date, you know, if, you, if you're sitting having a dinner and you think, look, this really isn't going anywhere, you know, we both sort of, we'd done all we could. And that was sort of how, it, you know, it would be a bad day at the office, I suppose, that way, I guess. <laughs> now, short-term love, when you say you try and find a short-term love mm. for them, what does that mean? Uh, to me, that's talking to them enough to learn all about their lives and to learn about the value that I could give them as a carer, as a provider. It's like, um, it's hard to explain. It, it's, um, I suppose, short-term care or short-term nurture or kindness. I'm not sure. That would empower me to feel needed and therefore aroused. It's quite hard to explain. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a mental uh, gymnastics event. No, sure. but that, no, that, that makes sense. That, yeah. that was, you wanted to feel that you were sort of needed and that you were yeah. fulfilling a need, a void. Because did you find with a number of your clients or a lot of them, that there was something missing in their lives and they felt that was why they reached out to you. Yes, exactly. That's right. They found that they weren't needed themselves. Um, So I think that's common in any relationship. You know, as soon as you're sort of just the cook, the cleaner, the chauffeur, it's an unequal balance of duties in the household, then, then you start to resent the person you're with and you just want to be appreciated. And I think that's sort of how I went into bookings. I started to appreciate them and that was reciprocated. So, yeah, I guess it was a short-term sort of love like that now that you put it that way, yeah. Nick, our producer, has a question that I think really feeds in nicely to what we've been discussing. Oh, okay. Hi, Mitch. My question for you is, in your experience, what do you think is the number one thing that disconnects a woman to her sexuality and feeling desirable? I think, oh, that's a tough one. I I think that does tie into what we were talking about before. I think when women feel that they're, I want a better word for sexual use, but for, for, for their sexiness, I suppose, has disappeared and they've forgotten that part of themselves that they once had when they were younger, when they were sort of dating and that sort of thing. I think as soon as they start going through the routines of life and parenthood or or whatever it is, they eventually start to just sort of don't even think about sex. They don't, you know, they'll just throw whatever clothes on they feel like in the morning. And they're not sort of, I'm not saying that you need to dress up to feel sexy, but they, they just start to lose interest in their own bodies and their own minds and their own sexuality as a, as a result of just the routines of life, I think. And I wonder as well, too, if it's got to do with, and this is a generalisation, but for a lot of women, we're juggling so much. We're caring for everyone else around us that we lose ourselves. We forget to look after ourselves. Absolutely. In that. So then we lose our identity, that sort of sexual part of ourselves. Yeah, 
And I wonder if you lose it or if it just sort of hides itself. I'm not sure because it doesn't take much to get it back. I mean, when I've been with clients... Tell us, what's the answer? Because there'll be people listening going, I've lost it, how do I find it? I I think, again, it ties back to being wanted and being wanted in the right way. You know, instead of just people barking things at you, your kids screaming at you and things like that, you take time out for yourself and... First, you've got to recognize that, you know, that this is something that's missing in your life. And then have a look at yourself in the mirror and just, and just look at your eyes and look at the young person that you once were. Because that's what I did with clients as well. I, w- I would look at them and I, w- I would look in there, like I'm doing it with you now, and, and imagine you as you were, say, when you were in your 20s or 30s and how vibrant you were then. And remember, that's what you once were. And you're not only still that person, but you've gone through a whole lifetime of experience. You're wiser, you're more uh, cautious, all sorts of things like that. So you still have that person in you. So just take a step back and remember that, you know, you are still that youthful, beautiful woman you once were in this perfect, beautiful vessel that's held you along this journey. So respect that and enjoy this body that you've got and let it have fun again. I think that (laughs) that is very good advice. And I think for our listeners... Use that tip. Look in the mirror, look at yourself and really think, I'm beautiful, I'm desirable. Absolutely, yeah. And and things sag, you get bumps and things all over the place, but that's what life is and that's something to be appreciated. As, as I said before, this, this beautiful vessel, this thing that's yours has survived all these years, so love it and respect it. And you'll see other people starting to do the same once you start to do that yourself. You're so right in that sense of it's all about how we see ourselves and if we put ourselves first Mm. more, then other things can hopefully fall into place. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The other argument is what's the alternative? Do you continue on for the rest of your life just tolerating mediocre sort of opinion of yourself? So, you know, it's time to take charge and sort of look and love yourself, I think. There we go. Did you hear that? We need to love ourselves more. Exactly. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Mitch told you. Now, I've got a question here from Sandy from Cairns. And she writes, we hear the expression of someone being good in bed. In your opinion, what makes a woman good in bed? A woman that's good in bed is someone that completely lets go and doesn't worry too much about whether they are pleasing the person they're with. If you're with a man or a woman and you, you're worried about what they're thinking, you're not going to feel too sexual yourself. So if you just, just let yourself go, you know, with permission, obviously do the things you want to do to your partner or, and, you know, just almost get into a sort of primal state, you'll find that you will start to be good in bed by osmosis. You know, you just don't be afraid to make noises, you know, just... <laughs> just just have fun, essentially, is what is good in bed. You know, people find, you know, oral sex difficult with men and, and I don't blame them. They're, they're really complicated things, these penises, I agree. And men are usually absolutely hopeless doing the same thing. But just be gentle and ask questions uh, and gradually, you know, you will be good in bed. It's Good in bed is good for you as well as for the partner that you're with. It can be hard... Perhaps that's not the right choice of words, (laughs) but for when you're a certain age, I suppose, and you're juggling a lot in your head already, and you're thinking, 
oh, I've got to do this later or this tomorrow. Mm. You know, the kids might be downstairs, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's very hard but, well, to it, get in the mood. It is. In those situations, oh, don't try, don't force it because, you know, if you have one bad experience and you keep forcing, it's not going to work. So that's a very good point, Jess. Yeah, make sure that you've given yourself and your partner all the, the privacy you can, you know, you've done the sort of jobs, you know, often, you know, Friday nights are good because there's just, you know, you can sleep in a little bit hopefully on the Saturday before the sports drop-offs and all that sort of garbage. But yeah, if you give yourself the space and, and the freedom, then definitely then that's the first step. Otherwise, don't, you know, don't even try, I think. <laughs> Unless you're going for the sort of quickie in the bathroom sort of job, <laughs> which is just as good too. <laughs> well, sometimes, exactly. I mean, are you a believer in sometimes having a quickie is a good way still to keep the, oh, the, the God, intimacy yes. alive as opposed to oh, not yeah. having sex at all? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. In fact, it's sexy, but it's very sexy to be a sort of, it sounds terrible, but, you know, the kids downstairs or something and shutting the door and just sort of having to be quiet like you did if you're, you when you were younger and then, you know, just, just doing it. It's very hot and, and that can be something that can spark something much better as well. So that's a good point. <laughs> the quickies are good. <laughs> there we go. Now, Mitch, I've got a question here from Anonymous. Do you think a partner who's seen escorts in the past will still have the same desire for variety or skill level once they're married? They're in a permanent relationship. Absolutely, 100%. And the reason I can say that is because I did this for, the, for a job for four and a half years and saw whatever number of people and am now very happy in a monogamous situation. So yes, 100% you can do that. And it will be a comforting realization for you that you have slept with the sort of the, the, the male escorts you've wanted to. Um, but now you've settled on, you know, a, a so-called real relationships, so non-paying relationships. So yes, definitely 100%, I'd say you can do that. And you, you will, I hope. One here from Shelley. Have any of your past clients contacted you after recognising themselves in your book? Uh, no, no, they haven't actually. Um, anyone that I alluded to in my book, I had permission to do so. And I need to make it clear that the stories in my book have been altered a lot. So many characters are actually made up of multiple clients that I saw. So there'd be, you know, the appearance of one, there'd be the the ethnicity of another, there'd be the, the marital status and history of another one. So, no, I haven't been contacted by clients that I've mentioned in my book because they are not fictitious, but they are made up of many others. So, yeah, that's a, I'm, I've made very, very sure of that so I don't ruffle any feathers there, that, that's for sure. So it's an amalgamation of people that you've known over the years. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's ongoing, obviously, the main character, Sam, and others like Anna, you know, that's, that's somebody that, that I, you know, I did quite fall for. And they all know who they are. You know, I've read chapters out to them and they were quite happy for that. Others actually have contacted me that I mentioned and it was, the, it was just all praise. It was just happiness. It's like, oh, I'm so happy to hear that you've done this. You finally released it. And, you know, and we have another wonderful conversation about how they're going as well. 
And of course, for our listeners who haven't read your book already, Mitch, time for her. It is a toe-curling read. (laughs) 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 Toe-curling? I recommend it. Toe-curling means scary, doesn't it? Oh, no, I mean in a, like, I suppose, no, I wasn't scared. No, but for me it was like, oh, wow, because it's literally, you lift the curtain on this whole different world that I think we wonder about as women. And I know I don't. When I think about my girlfriends, I don't talk to them a lot no. About sex? No. I don't talk about do, it and yeah, I don't know not why uncommon. that is. Yeah. So I think that's why reading your book I was like, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah. Because yeah. do blokes talk? I suppose as we get older we don't really so much. Um, I guess, I suppose as we were sort of discussing before, it's sort of your interest in porn as well. You get a bit old, a bit passe. So, you know, you don't look at it so much because you've seen it. You don't talk about sex so much because you've t- done the talking when you are a kid. And let's face it, when you're getting a bit older and you're talking about sex, you're probably going to be talking about the bad parts of it rather than, oh, my God, I had the best sex last night with my husband, et cetera, et cetera, you know. But maybe people should because then the friends will say, oh, how? What do I do? What did you do? What's your secret? You know. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm such a believer in having the difficult conversations mm-hmm. sometimes. And I do think talking about sex, it can be tricky. Yeah. And I'm really adamant about, making sure we talk to our younger people about what sex is really like. It is not porn. That is not what women want. And also that's not how I don't think blokes really probably, they don't want that pressure either. No, no. I mean, porn is another whole kettle of fish. It's just um, incredibly destructive. And as parents, as this generation, we can't close our eyes to it. We we, we need to be picking up our kids' phones unashamedly and saying, I'm looking at your search history. We need to know where it's at. And then, you know, if the search history's got something sexual in it, then we know we need to start talking. We can't ignore it and feel like we're intruding on their lives because the, the internet's just changed the game when it comes to this sort of thing. So if that's going to affect how men treat women and how women expect sex to be, then, then that's something we really need to discuss. Yeah, we, let's keep this conversation going. And with keeping the conversation going, I have a question here from Christy from East Perth. And her question is, and I think this is one for a lot of women, what would your advice be for someone who is struggling? She calls it with the big O, but let's say with having an orgasm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's often easier to... It depends if you're talking about whether you're struggling with a partner or whether you're struggling yourself. Um, If you're struggling with a partner, then it does need clear communication. And... You need to set your partner up for, (laughs) this sounds kind of funny, but for the long haul. Orgasms can take, people think that they can take sort of two minutes to five minutes. It's often 15, 20 minutes of constant rhythmic stimulation to be able to get there. Orgasms for, for men as well as women are a mental state as well. So if you sort of can switch your mind off and stop struggling to get it, it will come. If you're comfortable with it, you and your partner are comfortable taking your time getting there, you'll find that you, you will actually get to the point. And as you start to sort of, the rhythm builds up and you need him to go faster, you need to start sort of giving him the body language to sort of know that he needs to speed up or just keep going. Or if you can, if in the moment you can sort of gasp out the words like, don't stop, don't stop, <laughs> then you, it can happen and it will get there. You just have to be a bit patient, unfortunately. And time, I think for women... Often women feel 
they have to pretend. They've got to fake that they've had an orgasm yeah. because they're getting a bit weary. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know, you yeah. know, that idea of you're not going to get there, so I'll just pretend. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, there's no point even doing that, but it's sort of as soon as women will find themselves sort of vaguely getting there and then they'll have this little voice in the back of their mind saying, oh, this is taking too long, he's going to get annoyed at this and then that'll just drop the mood and you'll go back down into first gear and then you've got to build up, you know, let's talk about in, in a car sense, you know, <laughs> you'll drop back to first, then you'll get to second, third. No, that, doesn't, on, that's not, that does not turn me on thinking about driving I mean, a I'm, manual. <laughs> I'm in overdrive, I'm in overdrive, all right? <laughs> no! Flick the nitrous, I'm off. <laughs> Sorry, I like cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. When you were a male escort, I mean, you must have had that pressure each time to deliver in terms of giving your client an orgasm. Yeah, there was pressure. Um, and again, if I felt pressured, they would feel my pressure so it wouldn't work. So I had to reassure them a lot of the time that it was okay. I'm comfortable in the position that I was in when I was doing what I was doing and to encourage them to just switch their minds off and just let themselves go and not struggle to get there. Because, you know, often as a first meeting, and if someone did struggle to orgasm as a first meeting, we didn't know each other as friends or there wasn't sort of a rapport built up. So it made it a little bit more difficult. But as with regulars, you know, we started to learn about each other's bodies and, you know, it became much easier. But the pressure... Uh, I, I couldn't afford to put myself under such pressure because it is quite elusive, as, as women know. So it, it would make my job difficult, it would make them pressured, and it would just generally just bring down the whole sort of feeling. So we just sort of went into it with the idea of just having fun. And that as soon as you do that, then it's like, all right, well, there's no agendas, let's just have a ball, have fun, and see what happens along the way. And in terms of seeing what happens along the way, there must have been times for you, though, when you would have been thinking... I just want to get out of here. Mm. How did you keep focused? Oh, I know, I know. That did happen occasionally. Um, I guess when that happened, I started to find myself, it actually is a feeling of being trapped, to be honest. You know, if, you, if you're in a long booking and things aren't going that well, you're thinking, oh, how am I going to get through another sort of three or four hours? I, I suppose what I would do is just sort of take a break, take a time out, ask for a time out. You know, maybe we'd just talk or um, we'd put clothes on and go for a drink and then come back. Just generally just sort of just have a little bit of a circuit breaker. That made things a lot easier for both of us. Now we're going to head to the phones. We've got Nessa on the phone for you, Mitch. Hi, Nessa. What would you like to know? Okay, my question is, would you please come out of retirement for one night with me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of you to ask. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, my husband left me this year. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Actually, I should say congratulations. Bugger it. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, Good. You're done. Yeah, well, he took a while, but he decided he's gay. Okay. And... Uh, have not been intimate with anyone for over seven years and it was lacking before that. Oh, I've heard that many times, Nessa. And I'm finding it hard to put myself back out there and I think you would be perfect. <laughs> oh, that's, that's very kind of you to say. Well, you don't need someone like me to get you out there, I'm sure. Oh, it's confidence. Dare I ask, have you tried dating yet, online dating? No, no, I haven't. Have you chatted to anyone online? Uh, no. 
Well, that, no. that could be a start. Just start, you know, having a dialogue with men and you'll find, you know, you'll start getting your confidence back up hopefully eventually. But it will take time because it sounds like it's been quite a traumatic year for you. Very. So uh, what, would you recommend an app or? Yeah, I guess just maybe go to the usual apps, but just keep your expectations fairly low. A lot of people will want physical contact straight away. That's what I'm very nervous about. Yeah, definitely. And that's understandable for sure. Baby steps to start with. Just start texting guys or start getting yourself mentally prepared to get back out there. And I think you'll be fine when it comes to, you know, finding someone that suits you. And if you find the need to engage a male escort, then, you know, have a listen to my tips before about picking the right one. Yeah. And, you know, go out there and have fun. Okay. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. I, w- I need to do it. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to, but I'm sure it's better to be able to do it. It, might, it feels much nicer when you, 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 you can love yourself again. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Have some confidence and learn to love myself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your husband's actions were his own. They weren't to do with you. He made those decisions. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, you need to just have confidence in yourself. He had always known that he wanted a family, so that's okay. But we've got a good family. Thank you. Great. Well, that's something to hold on to. You're welcome. Good luck. Oh, Nessa, thank you for sharing that with us. That's really hard. That is hard. It's okay, though. I'm getting better. But he didn't answer my question the way I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) You were hoping, weren't you? (laughs) I knew it was going to be no. <laughs> oh, but Nessa, apart from you wanting Mitch to go back into the business, is there something else, another kind of bit of advice you'd like him to give you in terms of feeling confident with yourself in a sexual way? Because I think that can be very hard if, if you haven't felt that way for a long time. I suppose one of the biggest things for me is communication and trying to learn to ask what I want. I just Mm. find it so hard to get that out of my mouth. It's like, and learning what I want. Yeah. I don't know how to get that confidence to ask. Just take time and just don't despair. You've got a long and lovely life ahead of you and now's the time you can start to, to start making changes. Good. I'll try and communicate and open conversations. Perfect. That's a great start. Thank you. You go for it, Nessa. We'll be cheering you on and I know all our listeners are as well. This year ahead for you, it's going to be the year of asking for what you want. And I know I'm not alone. You're not. That's it. And you can do this, okay? Thank you. I'll do it. (laughs) This is going to be the year of Nessa, okay? Okay, 2024. It's all yours. Yay. Yippee. (laughs) Lots of love. Thank you. And that... That's a big thing for Nessa to share that. Huge. If you haven't been intimate with someone for over seven years mm. and you very much lose that part of yourself and question, what do I want? You lose your confidence, all of that. It's mm. hard to get back out there. Sure would be. You wouldn't even know what questions to ask in a way, would you? you don't, you've forgotten how your body responds, how it works and... You know, you'd question what men would say to you, whether they're deceiving you, all sorts of things. So that that was very brave of her. It was very, very kind and nice to hear from her. Yeah, and and she wants you to come out of retirement, Well, I'm not going to solve the problem long term (laughs) for her, so, you know, we need to address that. (laughs) But it's it's very sweet of her to ask. (laughs) I've got a question here that I'll read. Carly sent this via Insta. She lives on the Gold Coast. Professional hazards, what were they 
And how did you get around them? Professional hazards. All right, I'll give you a... <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is, how do, how do I make this sort of PG-ish? Um, when someone's on top and they don't quite know how to ride, so to speak, and things uh, slip out and then get crunched. That is something that is a professional hazard. <laughs> I think I mentioned it in my book in, in passing, actually. So that really hurts. I didn't have any sort of instances of jealous partners walking in or any sort of dangerous situation, so that was fine. But I think one reason why that wasn't the case is because I made it a condition to see me to talk to me beforehand so I could gauge sort of whether we would click in the situation that I was going into. Uh, so that, you know, safety-wise, I was okay. And I'm also fortunate to be a, a, not only a man in the industry or was a man in the industry, but also quite large, so that was okay. What else? I think uh, communication, again, if somebody started to treat me as a toy, you know, started biting me when I didn't want to be or things were hurting... I would generally sort of just push them away and say, you know, can we just calm this down a little bit? So um, that was about as dangerous as it got for me. In your book too, you write about your times with clients. Consent is very much a huge part of it where you talk to them about, can I do this? Yes. Can I touch you here? That's a huge part of what you do too. Definitely. And it should be a part of every sort of encounter. But yeah, I would often have clients that had suffered some pretty bad trauma and small things would trigger them. So unless it's a specific kink that you've both discussed and you've both, you know, consented beforehand, then then that's fine. Um, but yeah, any sort of, any any even putting a hand on a leg or hugging or kissing them for the first time or anything like that, it would always be, you know, would it be okay if I do this? And if I started doing something, I would say, is this okay? That's central to consent in general, I think. And that's something that needs to be ingrained into the, the sort of the, the reptilian part of men's minds. They need to start to think, I need to be asking if this is okay because this is me doing something that hasn't been done. So by rote learning, that men and young men need to be able to say, you know, oh yeah, that's right. I meant to say, is this okay? And then they just blurt the words out. And then the whole experience is much nicer for everybody. And consent can be sexy. Absolutely. And it is sexy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. When you get the green light and you've given the green light, then it, it's exciting. Sex is bloody wonderful. Let's face it. It's why we keep, why we're, as humans, we're still on this planet. So let's not forget about that. Exactly. <laughs> now, Wendy's got a question here. Did you ever have real feelings for a client that you thought could lead to love? Um... I had real feelings for clients, but I, I was conscious that if I did fall for them and did commit to them, that that would be the end of my career. And, you know, it, it, it does sound cold, but I sort of had to keep up that barrier just for my own financial and mental well-being as well. But I did meet several clients that, that I was incredibly attracted to and they were amazingly intelligent. They were in professional roles that were, you know, I can't say specifics, but they were in very respectable roles and I was, I was enamored with them and I thought, oh, this is really someone special. But I had other clients that I had to care for at the time as well and, yeah, I, I had to push back. So that's not really an answer, yes or no. I, I guess the answer is yes, to be honest. There were ones that I did question that um, and thought about it for sure. I'm only human, so, yeah. And how do you or did you put up that barrier? 
the barrier of money was always there. So that's always like the invisible barrier when there's the payment is made. So, you know, there was always, it's not a nice feeling taking money, but it's a necessary part. With that money part, because it is awkward, would you insist a deposit at the start of the booking and then rest of a bank transfer? Or was it literally cash or how? Um, Usually with new clients, I would, if I was set to, say I was traveling interstate and I was booking flights to do it and they canceled at the last minute, then I would lose money. So I would, for new clients, I would take a, like, I think it was a 20% deposit um, and that would commit them as well, you know, because if they didn't do that, they would start doubting their decisions too. So it just sort of worked both ways. Uh, I would take usually the, the deposit by bank transfer and then um, they could pay the remainder however they liked. But it was usually just cash when we met and then we'd get it out of the way as quickly as possible. At so, the start, so yeah, before yeah. anything sort of happened, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, that said, there were times when I completely forgot to ask for money, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, there And were. then what would happen? Oh, until the last minute. I think until they sort of said, oh, by the way, this was for you. You know, you, you do get lost in the moment a lot of the time. But yeah, the, the money usually would be out of the way at the first possible instance and then we could both relax and then treat it as, as, as a realistic date. So, yeah, that's how it worked with me. And what about when you are going to meet the client face-to-face for the first time? Was there sort of a routine that you would follow with her? You'd start here and then you'd have a kiss and then this would happen and this would happen or would it depend? Like, how? Um, what were the machinations of it? Well, whenever we first met, if it was ever in public, there was complete discretion. So it was just, you know, it wasn't even a handshake, you know, it was sort of like, a, oh, hi, sort of like like you're an old friend. I always liked to break the ice with a big hug if possible um, because I think that it, it, it's not a sexual thing but it's a caring thing. So I, I really liked doing that first if they were up for it. And that sort of tended to break down the, the nerves, you know, probably about 60% of the whole nerves. And then if possible, go up to the room where we would be and then the feeling of the two of us in the room together would again make things a little bit easier. Um, so, you know, we'd leave the money there or something and then we would go and have a drink somewhere else and then get to know each other before we took anything else further. So it wasn't a, a set routine, but it was sort of my, I guess it was my way of doing it, yeah. You had your particular sort of in mind, this is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, just to, what I knew worked in the past and tended to, to help the client with their nerves the best. So that's what I used to do. We're going to head to the phone again. Oh, okay. Rachel, you've got a question for Mitch. My question is, how do you get a widow or help them to get back into things? Thanks for the question, by the way, Rachel. Um, I did see many widows, to be honest, ones that were older and ones that were younger. And it's quite a tough time and it's a very slow process. And... I suppose to get back into it, that sort of revolves around the client and, and to how ready they are to move on and whether they can be comfortable with the guilt and, and the sadness. Because I, I say be comfortable and not eradicate it completely because it will always be there. There will always be the loved person that you had in your life. And as a male escort, I never tried to sort of replace the person that, that you'd lost but just helped you appreciate who you were when you were with him, I suppose. It does take a lot of uh, delicacy to sort of give you the confidence to, to, to make love. And generally, 
I found it was over a couple of sessions, to be honest. It wasn't usually a, a, a one-off thing. Does that sort of answer your question, Rachel, or is there something more that I can add? Um, yeah, it does. It's just like, um, it's more, how do you even start it off after such a long time? Yeah. Can I ask your age, Rachel? 51. 51, so you're in your prime. Um, and how long ago did you lose your partner? Uh, it'll be three years in April. Yeah, that's actually a common time frame from since losing someone for someone to reach out to me, actually. Three years is is pretty much the nail on the head. So I think you you probably are, by asking these questions of me, you are starting to, to start to, to want to meet somebody or at least to, to be sexual again. Well, yeah, you know, that would be nice again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, male escorts can help with that, that's for sure. That's one of the things that we are really gentle and kind and patient with. So, yeah, I, I guess it's a matter of, in any sort of relationship, going out there and slowly taking the steps to opening yourself up to seeing another man, to start talking to another man, um, and then very slowly, you know, through communication, letting him know how you're feeling, if anything doesn't feel right, then I think you'll eventually start to be able to move on. But in doing so, don't feel like that if you're moving on, you're saying goodbye to your partner because he'll always be with you. Yeah, no, thank you. You're welcome. I wish you luck. Oh, Rachel, sending you so much love. And and Mitch, that's fascinating what you're saying about that being quite a, a common thing, that, mm. that three-year mark yep. after someone loses someone that they've loved, that yeah. they're ready then to think about intimacy with someone else. Yeah, it takes a, it like takes a long time. And it was an honour, it was a a hell of an honour to have been put in such a position to help someone in that situation. That's what I find so intriguing about what you do, that the way you talk about your work as a male escort is very much in that caring, nurturing sense that Mm. from the outside people don't necessarily think of it that way. No, no, and I'm always interested to know when people say oh, the stigma of a male escort, I'm interested to know what that actually is because for me, it, it was my normal life. It was just me. But that's, that is inherently what escorts do. We are, we are counsellors, we're therapists, we're masseuses, we're all sorts of things and it's a very involved and very complicated speciality and something... This is another topic, but something I think that, that should be trained and regulated and accredited because it is so, it has such an impact on people's lives. It's a beautiful profession. And even you saying it's a beautiful profession, hearing you respond to the people phoning in with the, those questions, I could see you really connecting via the phone line, so to speak. <laughs> it was amazing watching that almost transformation over you. <laughs> It was. Yeah. You were really honing in on what it was. You were listening. Of very, course, absolutely. But really listening. Not just, it wasn't just sort of, oh, yeah, I listened to this question. You were very tuned in. Well, yeah, it was hard for them to talk to me. And I, I didn't want to detract from the importance of what they'd done. It was very brave for them to share it. You know, they could have just emailed the question into you, but to actually speak to us, that was very brave. So good on you guys. Yeah, they wanted to talk to you. Why did you decide to no longer be an escort? Um, I met someone and I... So you fell in love? I did, yeah. I found someone that I'm really happy with. 
Was she a client, if I can ask? No, no, that's fine. No, no, she wasn't actually. No, we just met online. I also found, I think I've described it before, I found that it became all-consuming for me. Um, I, I never had much downtime and I didn't have the mental bandwidth to do the job for the amount of people that wanted to see me and needed me. So I found that, you know, as I was getting a little bit older, I needed to start readjusting my expectations on on how good I could be at the job. And I started to think, well, maybe I'm not going to be so great at it and it's probably better to sort of start thinking about other things, you know, before I, I regret it or before other people get hurt or anything like that. So you, you left at the right time for you. Yeah, I think so, yeah, it was, definitely. And if you look back at that time, what was the highlight? Is there something that you've taken away from that or you you look on and think, yes, that was why I did that or that was why that was good? Oh, there are too many to describe, Jess. There were, I think generally the feeling of, you know, and I describe this to anyone that I coach in, in the industry that... So you're a coach as well. You coach other escorts. Yeah, other guys, yeah. Really? Yeah, I'd give them, give them all my knowledge, like things from... So how can people find <laughs> <laughs> your sort of... <laughs> you can just go to my website, okay. beyouagain.com.au. Be um, I see only older men because I think that's where the value is and that's where the, the hole in the industry is. Older men who have had life experience and who are just as caring and kind as, as I wanted to be. So you mentor other male escorts? Yeah, people thinking of going into the industry, that's right. And I'll be brutal. I'll sort of, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? I'm not vetting them from the industry, but if I'm keeping them realistic as to what sort of work they're going to get, and they can ask me anything they want about, you know, well, what happens if you can't get hard or what happens if she does this or did it, anything like that, or even financial things, even you know, frequent flyer things or hotel things or, you know, the things that I picked up during that time, it would save them months and months of work. So, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd give them that service. The question about that special time was always, and when I talked to them, as which led me to coaching, is that feeling once you've just seen the client and you're absolutely walking on air and they're walking on air. It's just that your heart feels so full. It's incredible. It's It's just... You literally feel like your stomach's and your chest's inflated. It's an incredible feeling and you just feel like you've just done nice things for people and made a difference. So that was consistent throughout my career. Oh, well, Mitch, thank you for doing... I mean, I think nice is probably a very <laughs> vanilla way to describe the wonderful things that you did for your clients, but... <laughs> it was nice. It was pleasant. <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on the Jessro Big Talk Show podcast and for answering all of those questions. You're welcome. You're so welcome. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me up here too. It's lovely to meet you and Nick finally in person. Oh, it's great to meet you in real life. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Jess. What a conversation. There was so much that I learned. And gee, it was good almost to have permission to ask all of those really full-on questions. And do you know Mitch, he he does have such a big heart. He gave me a photo of my pussycat framed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my cat, okay, framed, just beautiful. I can't wait to put it up somewhere at home. Now, if you haven't already listened to my 
first conversation with Mitch about what goes through the mind of a male escort, I recommend that you take a listen. We'll put a link for it in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about Mitch, read his remarkable book, Time For Her, and we'll also have a link for that in the notes. Listener.